Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We are in the third week in the Ruth story. Uh, as we have been walking through this beautiful story of redemption, we find ourselves here on Ruth chapter 3. If, just a quick snapshot to catch us up for those of us who are forgetful or maybe missed a message. In the last two weeks, we walked through the first two chapters of Ruth. The first one started out so very bleak and dark. It began with loss. This woman named, named Naomi moved from Israel to a place called Moab because she and her family were hungry. She was married, had two young sons, such a great, bright future. And then quickly in this foreign country, she lost her sons. Her sons married Moabite women, uh, so they're from this land called Moab, Moabite women, and then her two sons died. So she's now left as a widow who just buried her two sons. And then one of the daughters-in-law decided to return home while one of them clung to Naomi. Her name was Ruth. And she said this. She said, where you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. In other words, what she was saying is, my life is now attached to you. Your life is now mine. Wherever you go, I'll be there too. And that introduces the theme for the book of Ruth. It's this word hesed, which means loyal love, this like unstopping, faithful, loyal love that eventually we will see pointing up to who God is. And so um, Ruth and Naomi wander back to home in Israel. Uh, Ruth very uh, exposed as an immigrant in a new place surrounded by people who didn't like her. They were not excited about a Moabite woman coming there. And Naomi was such, uh, so bitter. She was so angry at God that she changed her name from sweet to bitter. And then we have in Ruth chapter 2, she is, uh, they, uh, Ruth knows about now, she knows about the provision in the, the Jewish law that people who are poor and immigrants and widows could glean in the fields behind the, the farmers who were gleaning. So the, those who were just looking for a little bit of provision, they could go behind the harvesters and they could pick up the little pieces that are left. So the people were allowed to glean there in the margins, like the marginalized. The marginalized were allowed to glean in the margins and behind these harvesters. And, and it just so happens, just so happens that Ruth her first time is gleaning in a field of a man named Boaz, who's this godly man, who's this compassionate and gentle man. But not only that, it just so happens that she's, she's in the field of this man named Boaz, who also is a distant relative for her deceased husband. And this is a little bit weird for our culture, but it was the provision in that day and age where a family member had the obligation or the privilege to marry their deceased brother's uh, wife. And it kind of went down even further down the family line. So we have here Boaz, this cousin, who's this old, wealthy bachelor, had this woman named Ruth right there in front of her. And he had this opportunity to redeem her. But as we see, with oftentimes with very old bachelors, they're not always great in relationships. That's, I'm not sure if you have any friends like that in your life. But Boaz, 
um, it leads us to Ruth chapter 3. And this really unfolds all of a sudden now. We're in this beautiful romance story. And I say it's beautiful and awesome, not because it's like Hollywood, like the romance stories that we're used to, that we, stories we read or the stories we see on TV or in film. It's just so perfect. Like, it's perfect because there's like one beautiful person chasing after another beautiful person that's never had a bad hair day. And like in the rain, he's chasing after her and gets there right before the train leaves or right before this other person gets married, or right before the plane takes off, and has the perfect thing to say, and the other person has the perfect thing to say back, and it's like, oh, there's no conflict, there's no weirdness, and they get together, and it's happily ever after. Now, that seems so foreign to my life. My wife will attest, like, romance doesn't always come naturally for some of us, but here we are. And what I love about this story is it's so clunky and awkward. It's actually really uncomfortable how this story unfolds. There's so much culturally coded language and customs in this chapter. I'm going to spend a lot of time kind of explaining what was going on, what's the story behind this story. But what we will see, I believe what we will see, is a story like this, although may seem so foreign, is so applicable and real for our life today. So chapter 3 begins with this. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home, or another translation for that word is a place of rest, a refuge for you, where you will be well provided for. We, we see now Naomi's beginning to move beyond her, her bitterness that she has, and she's actually looking at Ruth, at the, wanting to care for Ruth. She wants to find Ruth a husband and a home. And if we remember in chapter 1, it ended by saying it was what time? This is a little quiz for us. What time was it at the end of chapter 1 for those who are here? Barley harvest. So right when they were in famine, they had nothing. They were showing back up home right at the time of harvest. And so that gives us a clue about something. Because what we find here is that that gives us a clue that Ruth has now been in the fields gleaning with Boaz for around two months six to eight weeks or so, of gleaning in his field, in this wealthy bachelor's field. And the interesting thing is, when Boaz first saw Ruth in chapter 2, this is what happened. Ruth chapter 2, verse 5. Boaz saw Ruth and said, "Um, who who does that young woman belong to? Or, like, another way to say is, who is the lucky guy? Like, he recognizes her, sees her. And then Boaz is told that she is Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, your cousin, Elimelech, who passed away. It's, 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 she's, she, she was once married to her, his son. So then Boaz pulls Ruth aside and says, I've heard of you. Like, people are talking about you. Like, your character, the way that you've clung on to your mother-in-law, people are, people are noticing this. And then he gave her a blessing. Listen to this blessing he said in, in, in Ruth 2, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Don't you love that picture of God's wings? Providing, caring for like a, like a mother hen, like covering, providing, making sure that they're safe and provided for. And so, like, he gives, gives her this blessing. And you would think if you're reading this story that everything is set for 
Boaz to begin courtship with Ruth. But six weeks go on and there's no movement. There's no, like, their relationship status online has not changed. They're still single. And we find that, like, as a reader, we're like, come on. Come on, Boaz. And then in verse, uh, chapter 3, we find out that it's now time for the winnowing, for the harvest to be finished. So the harvest season, they've gathered all the grain. And then their process is, I've learned that this past week, they would thresh they would thresh the, the crops, and then they would use a winnowing fork, and then they would throw it up, and the wind would blow the chaff, and the seeds, the, the part that, that actually substance for us, would fall to the ground. So this was the process of separating, of sifting. And so this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal because this is now the time that they've been waiting for for 10 years. For 10 long years, they were in famine. They had no provision. They had nothing to harvest. They had nothing to thresh, and, and they had no grain to, to take in for 10 years. And here we are, and this is like a big payday. Like, finally, finally, here's God's provision for us. And so we also know what happens is after this, the workers will get their payment. People like Boaz, they'll, they'll get their like lump sum of money for what they've done and then everyone kind of goes off to their own homes. They go back to their own life until it's a season again. Is get back to work. And you almost sense that like, like this, this is like their window of opportunity is shutting. Like this, this kind of the, the closeness that, that Ruth and Boaz had uh, was, was ending. So Naomi like was like, all right, y'all step out of the way. I'm going to take over. I'll take it from here. And so Naomi gives this advice. So Naomi had been waiting and watching for Boaz to notice in court Ruth. He didn't do it. He was kind to her. He provided for her, protected her, but he didn't act. And so before they return to the homes, Naomi says, I'll take it from here. In verse 12, she gives some advice to Ruth. She says to Ruth, tonight Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, like to sleep, notice the place where he's lying. Then go uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Okay. Ruth responds, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Okay, so um, there are a lot, like a wide range of commentaries about this. I have looked at backwards and forwards. There's some commentaries who find it's like a really sexually charged experience, this invitation, this advice. And there's some that are like, no, they're godly people doing godly things. There's nothing but upright action here. And I, I kind of fall like I do on most things, which is like right in the middle. I think that Naomi was trying to give some like really well-intended advice, but man, it was questionable. It was so questionable. Just think about it. Like, what parent would give this advice to their kid? You know that old bachelor? Tonight, he's going to party. So get dressed up, put on some perfume, wait till after he's eaten, put down a couple Mai Tais or whatever. And once he's gone into his tent to sleep, sneak in there, uncover his feet, and then wait. And when he wakes up, don't worry, he'll tell you what to do. 
Uh, does this make anyone else uncomfortable? Does, like, does anyone else not like where this is going? More, more concerning, is there anyone who likes where this is going? <laughs> like, this is just seems really uncomfortable and awkward. I don't like telling you this. It's just the Bible. I have to read it. So it seems like a very, very, very bad idea, a very clunky way of starting a relationship. To be honest, it makes me think that, uh, that Naomi wanted to force something. And it wasn't like, it wasn't ill-intended. She wasn't like trying to do something. She was concerned that Ruth was not going to be cared for. So I think she pushed Ruth and Boaz into a, a compromising situation. So just, I just want to give a pause just for a second and just acknowledge something that's like super obvious, but I think it's good for us to acknowledge. Sometimes Christians can give really bad advice. <laughs> Seems obvious, but like God, God's people sometimes gives, they don't always give the most godly advice. And like we really, just like they did with the threshing floor, we have to sift the advice we're given. Like we have to sift it. And there's like, just want to just share like three ways that I sift advice for in my life is I return to God's word. I sift it through the rubric of God's word. Like, is this lining up from what I know in scripture? The second thing I do is I sift it through the life of Jesus. Does this decision move me closer to who Jesus was? Does this advice like push me towards more what Jesus was doing? And then lastly, what I do when I sift my own advice is, is this actually seeking my good? And sometimes my good is a hard good. Like the people that I go to for counsel, they are not agreeable people. <laughs> They're not the type of people who just nod yes at everything. I'd say they will question, they will push back, they will love me by making it difficult. But that's, that's good. Like, this is good godly counsel. Yes, they will comfort, they will encourage me, but they will also challenge me, they will question me, they will confront me. And that's the kind of advice that I seek out, that I need. They will love me enough to redirect my life when I've stepped out of bounds. So Psalm 1 gives us like a beautiful picture and a warning of what, what it means to like know and follow God's ways. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner's take or sit in the company of mockers. Like that's a good life. That's blessed. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Not just like I read it. It's fine. I'll read it so I don't feel bad or awkward. Like but it's actually a delight. It's sweet. There's a sweetness to knowing and looking at God's law. Who meditates on it day and night. I don't think that God cares as much that you put in your five-minute quiet time as much as throughout the day you're going, you're returning back to that passage. You're thinking back to what, what God has been teaching you. I think that's what God cares for you is that you're meditating. You're, throughout your days, you're just returning to God's word. Meditating on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Like it's not going to run dry. Which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Like this for us is a good way of living. This is the, this is the way that we need to, to counsel and give advice to each other. Is we need to return to God's word and remember the way of Jesus. So even though... Um, that. Ruth trusts Naomi. Ruth does exactly what Naomi tells her to do. So after 10 years of famine, here's the big payday. It's a huge party. 
And it's a great celebration, and everything happens exactly like this mother-in-law said it would. She knew it exactly. She was gone for, for a long time, and it didn't matter. She was like, men are still the same. Ten years later, it's going to be exactly the same, and it was exactly the same. In verse 7, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Perhaps he's there to protect his grain, to like guard his grain, like Waiting for a long time for this, he's going to lay by it to make sure that no one messes with it or takes it. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Like, weird thing is, like, why uncovering the feet, right? So last night, I uncovered Jen's feet throughout the night, and sure enough, she didn't sleep well over and over again. I just uncovered her feet. Jen's my wife, by the way. We are married. Um, so, uh, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He, he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. And then Ruth responded, I'm your servant, Ruth. But here is something that's really important to notice, and it's like, for me, it's been my message for me personally this week. Is, then Ruth goes off script. She said and did everything that Naomi said, but then Ruth, she went off script, and she added a request. She said this, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Like this, this is not normal for us. Like I don't know of many people who ask that of each other. Spread the corner of your garment over me. This is what I, this is what I found out this week. This, this word, corner of the garment, like um, if something jumps out in God's word, study it, because sometimes that's that's your lesson of God saying, hey, this is your message for you right here. So I looked at, what is that corner of the garment all about? The Hebrew word is kanap, K-A-N-A-P, kanap. And it can mean two different things. One is the corner of a garment. The other thing is a wing, is a wing. So remember this. Another way to say this is Ruth is saying, since you're my guardian redeemer, could you cover me with your wing? You know how like first encounters are really powerful? Like you'll have a first encounter where someone will just get locked in your mind. I think Ruth had thought over the blessing that Boaz gave her, and it was rolling around her mind. And remember what Boaz said to her? If you guys remember that in Ruth 2? Ruth um, remember he said this, May the Lord repay you for what, for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord for the, uh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Like, I, I think what, what, in many ways, what Ruth is saying is, you have like blessed me. You have said, like, may God cover me with his wings. But what I'm thinking right now is that God has put you in my life to be that redeemer, to cover me, to give me security. So what, what Ruth is being really bold of saying I need you to redeem me. I need you to cover me. I need you to provide for me. I need you to be my refuge. So I don't think this was like a sexual invitation. I think this is about a deep, soul-filled need and a bold invitation for marriage that Ruth could be redeemed by Boaz. And Boaz is thrilled by this request. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he said. This kindness, or hesed, remember the, the theme for this book in my mind, 
is greater than what you have showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, which also gives us insight of why maybe he was reluctant to pursue her for six weeks, maybe because he just assumed that she deserved a younger man. And now, my uh, daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Don't you love that? In this questionable situation, he's lifting up her character. He's like, people know that you're a righteous person, that you have virtue. They know your reputation. And he's lifting up her character in this moment of vulnerability. But then he shares that there is a problem. We have a problem. And here's the problem, verse 12. Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer, although it's like true that I am in the family line of our family, there's another who's more closely related than I. So Boaz is saying, I'm in second position. Unfortunately, there's someone, not me, who's in first position. Which makes me think that Boaz was thinking about this. Like he was already ready. He already knew what, what was going on. So then Boaz says, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, let, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Like he's, Boaz is looking out for that reputation. He's sending her right as the sun is beginning to rise. He, he didn't want her to leave in the middle of the night. That would have been too dangerous. I mean, that would have been, you know, who knows what would have happened. But he also wanted to care for her reputation. So as soon as the first uh, side of the sun came out, he sent her on uh, to go home. But he also sent her with a provision. He sent her with a, a huge gift for uh, her mother-in-law, a lot of grain. So in verse 16, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi Asked, how did it go, my daughter? <laughs> what a weird mother-in-law. <laughs> Never been asked that. Um, then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. He's a motivated man right now. And so... Uh, there's the end of that chapter. Whew, we got through it. Are we okay? We good? All right. Though this story feels really distant, uh, I think there's, there's some beautiful invitations it gives us to live into this story. And this, like, this story actually highlights something I, I actually love about the Bible. It is of no concern of God to clean up this book so that we have these nice and tidy and shiny stories. Stories like this are messy. And the wisdom of God was to leave messy stories like this in the Bible. Why? Well, because we actually can see ourselves in the story. Our lives are full of messy situations, messy decisions. And maybe, just maybe, God is in the midst of our mess too. Maybe that's why this book is perfect, because it's also human. Like, it's full of human decisions and human stories. And in the midst of that, God is using imperfect people for an imperfect purpose. God is, God is using, like, really bad plans for a perfect plan. 
And that, for me, is the beauty of God's book. It is the most honest book in the world so that it addresses our life honestly, so that we then go to the Bible honestly. We, too, are imperfect characters in God's story. And in the midst of our life, there is God as well. In the midst of this clunky relationship, there was a Redeemer redeeming these decisions, redeeming uh, just very common, ordinary plans that they had. But he was weaving a great story. And one of the things that we see in this story is the great character of Boaz and Ruth in the middle of a compromising situation. Like, they showed great character in the midst of that. In the middle of the night, what seemed to be a small decision, it wasn't. It wasn't a small decision. It was through small decisions like this that God was creating a huge legacy. Many times we feel like the legacies of our life are built on a few handful of big decisions. But I really believe the legacies of our life are decided through thousands of small decisions that are pointing us to a great Redeemer. The small decisions that we are making brick by brick are building the legacy of our life. For in this story, like Boaz and Ruth could have consummated the relationship, Boaz could have seen her, her vulnerability and exploited her and sent her on the way, thinking maybe no one will ever know. Maybe no one ever know this mistake I just made. But instead, Boaz protected her, provided for her, reminded her of her character, her dignity. And in the middle of the night, he was making a decision that was paving the way for a great legacy. Likewise with Ruth. Ruth could have ditched her mother-in-law when things got too rough. She could have chased after younger men. Or she could have thrown herself on Boaz. But instead... In this moment, in an imperfect plan, she showed great character. And her decisions, though it might seem small, was pointing to a great big legacy. Even in our own life, I know we fail many times, but there's God too, redeeming that too. And what was the legacy that they were building? All right, here's a spoiler alert, all right? The end of the story is just too good to save for next week. I'm going to have to talk about it twice. The very end of their story, although their relationship was clunky and weird, they had this vulnerable, really vulnerable immigrant who had no penny to her name and this wealthy bachelor named Boaz. God was weaving these small decisions together for a great legacy. God was taking these two people that seemed so very different, racially different, economically different, and their character was being brought together by the providence of God to build a great legacy for in what we'll find next week is they would have a son, and that son would have a son, and that son would be named David. He would be the greatest king that Israel ever had, also imperfect, but he'd be a great king, build the temple, would teach us how to worship. He would fight for God's people, and also through that line, generations down, was Jesus. Small decisions building a great legacy, all pointing to an incredible Redeemer. Because that legacy led to your Redeemer that meets us in all of our mistakes and all our failures and brings about goodness and beauty. This kind of Redeemer who, like Boaz, reminds us who we are in the midst of compromising situations, provides for us, cares for us. We get a small glimpse in this story of a beautiful and big Redeemer 
who delivers us. And I wonder, and I wonder if today what many of us need to do is to learn from Ruth. Maybe some of us today need to learn from Ruth on how to be bold of asking for redemption. How to be bold to say, I, I need you to cover me, God. I need you to redeem me. I need you to save me from this. This is beyond me. I need you to step in. I need you to provide for me. I need a redeemer.